Well, welcome again to Holy Days, to our teachings of the Scripture, to here with Pastor Sean Shepherd that's going to lead us today. Uh, Sean, what do we have for today? Today our lesson's called uh, Teruma, and it means free will offering. Free will offering. Mm-hmm. And how did you say that again? Teruma. 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 Okay, make room for the offering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, verses 1 through 7 the Lord instructs Moses to accept offerings from Israel. Contra- we're, we're in Exodus 25, right? Exodus 25. 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Uh, contributions from all Israel's whose hearts are moved. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those situations where if you feel it, mm-hmm. you, when God speaks to you, then do it. And that's what they did. Gold, silver, bronze, uh, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins, and fine goat skin leather. Uh, I always say this word wrong. Uh, acacia wood. Yeah, uh, acacia wood. Acacia wood. Acacia. Uh, olive oil for the lamps, uh, spices for the anointing oil and fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the uh, the ephod, and the priest's chest piece. So they all get. He told them all to give that. They gave that. Uh, they gave a lot of gold, as we'll find out here shortly, and a lot of silver and a lot of other things. Uh, have the, is, verse 8, have the people of Israel build me a sanctuary so I can live among them. And in verse 9, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. You know, God, we talked a lot on our last podcast of the obedience of God. Mm-hmm. God wants his children to be obedient, and he gives us specific instruction. One of the things I'd really like to, when we started out today, as all whose hearts are moved, mm-hmm. uh, when we come to the Lord, uh, the Lord wants us to come with our whole heart, open to him. And as we do that, then our hearts can be moved. Mm-hmm. And so this was, uh, the Lord wanted those that truly loved him, who truly uh, wanted to see the tabernacle built and the things of the Lord done. Amen. And uh, the word in there is mishkan, which means dwelling place. Uh, what I'll do is I'll probably bring that up on the screen. Uh, but mishkan is the word in Hebrew. Hmm. So you'll see that. But uh, the three main colors used of the fabric of the tabernacle are blue, purple, and scarlet. So these were the ones that went in front of the, the this was the veil, mm-hmm. and they went in front. And the, the purple came from a small st- snail called the murex, and uh, scarlet or crimson, uh, the crimson, the word comes from uh, kermes, which is a uh, Persian language word. Okay. And it, uh, it's dried and crushed and mixed into it, so uh, uh, they're... Uh, I think that one's a snail. I can't remember the name of it. But that's another one that's like that. So they would crush these, mix them together, and that's where they would get the color. So some of these were very, very specific on how they got them. And uh, and you, if you remember uh, Christ, uh, his uh, trial, they put the scarlet robe mm. on him. So the scarlet robe, the word crimson, or what they used in the Bible there was the same one. So it was from this crushed snail. You know, there's a lot into these colors of the robes and the the uh, different cloths they had. Today, uh, reading this morning, I was, I was reading uh, Leviticus. And uh, 
Uh, actually, no, I take it back. It was just numbers. I went into numbers today. And so as I was reading those scriptures there in numbers, they were talking about uh, leading the children of Egypt out of Egypt and how he led them through the tabernacle and how he put certain tribes on the east, certain tribes on mm-hmm. the west, north and south. But the Levites, they had Pacific. Their job was to tear down the tabernacle mm-hmm. and erect the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. But every time they, they tore it down, everything had to be covered in a certain color. And it was blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they covered uh, the poles in, with a blue tarp and they covered different things. So... Uh, it's very significant, even in colors, and what they signify about the Lord had. So, mm-hmm. uh, very detailed, down to the precise. Even with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant, we have the dimensions, and now it's into the colors of it. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when they speaking of when they broke it down, they had poles for the uh, the bronze uh, altar. Mm-hmm. They had poles for uh, most of the things in there. The only thing that didn't was the menorah and one other piece didn't have poles for the priest to pick up and carry. Mm-hmm. So it uh, everything was designed to pick up and move. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything everything had a detail and a meaning. You know, a few weeks ago in a reading, <clears throat> I was reading about the ark, and it talks about how the, the poles go in at the bottom. Uh, and it said that not to be removed. But then as you was reading in Numbers, it's talking about replacing the poles mm-hmm. so they did remove them when they set it up mm-hmm. so uh you know just little little things uh and i'm i was intrigued today that certain certain men were assigned all you ever did every time for 40 years you carried the poles you carried the base you you carried this so uh some of the their duties and jobs was that was that way, they never wonder who got them or who got this. They knew who was supposed to do it. It's like God put a stop to that bickering right then and there. So. Right, right then and there. <laughs> uh, and is Isaiah one eighteen sinners are scarlet, white as snow. That mm-hmm. section, and Psalms twenty two six. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of people. Mm-hmm. So there's Christ saying that in relation to the worm from the scarlet thread. So. Yeah. Right here's where we find that with the scarlet colors. But uh, when we were in Israel, the lady talked about it, and she held up the uh, the threads and yes, the colors, she and she said where each one came from, and yeah. she mentioned this one. She did mention that, and that was very interesting being there. How they uh, made the thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, always sight, firsthand experience uh, is puts that picture in your in your mind forever. Absolutely. Um, so. What kind of, how do I say that word again? Asia wood. Asia wood. The Egyptian called it uh, the tree of life, mm. that kind of wood, because, uh, and the Septuagint calls it incorruptible wood. And the reason is, is because it, it's the longest lasting mm. and it's resistant to corrosion and all that. Mm. So that was the wood that they used to make the Ark of the Covenant. That's where we're at now in mm. the scripture. Um, in the, uh, Hebrew, it's called Aron uh, Habrit. The box contained the manna uh, in the jar. Remember mm-hmm. we yeah, talked the about that? Pot. Mm-hmm. It had the rod of Aaron and it had the tablets of the law. Yeah. It was covered in pure gold. The lid had the cherubim and was covered in gold. And it was called the mercy seat or uh, kaporeth in Hebrew. So the lamb's blood appeased God's wrath on sin. Mm. So they spread the blood on the mercy seat. 
So you got the two cherubim, the wings pointing out, and that's where they would uh, spread the blood to yeah. appease. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, in uh, two angels at Christ's resurrection. So Mary stoops down and looks inside the tomb, mm -hmm. and there's two angels sitting there beside where he was laid. One at each end, mm -hmm. one at the head and one at the foot. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same as we find here on the ark. The mercy seat, God pointing, I am the sacrifice. I am the, the lamb from the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. It's all right there. And it, the imagery is right here in making of the ark. Mm -hmm. So four priests carried it on the poles, as we said. Ezekiel's vision saw four cherubim bearing the throne of God. So you had the four uh, cherubim, but they were also uh, like the four living creatures, mm -hmm. which we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but the, the Apocrypha books state that Jeremiah hid the ark in a cave at Mount Nebo. So uh, before the Babylonians invaded, invaded Ezra and Zechariah's time during the second temple, it couldn't be found. So they didn't know where the ark was. That's what the Apocrypha states. So whether or not that's true, but that's, that's what that states. So... What, the, what they're saying in the Apocrypha books that is the ark will be found at a time that God chooses. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how that would spark interest in rebuilding the temple, if that's well, true. Well, you know, and we had some of this discussion with our uh, tour guide there while we were in mm -hmm. Israel, uh, uh, the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, as we walked uh, in the tunnels mm -hmm. near the western wall as we were walking, uh, you know, they explain that there's tunnels, there's things on the other side of the wall that they, they just cannot get to. Mm -hmm. uh, and th there's possibilities they could be there. But others have uh, suggested that the ark, they know where the ark is. Certain, certain rabbis know. And that uh, they have, other people have been to the doorway of it, but could not go in. So, uh, you know, we don't know for sure. Uh, it will be revealed in God's timing. It's, right. it's, it's not hid to God. So we, he has it where he wants it. Uh, but, you know, I noticed the blessings upon the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. And anywhere the ark was, there was always blessing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do believe that it, it hasn't been carried off to some faraway country or land that you hear uh, different theories and different people want to make a case for because many of those places where they say that there's no blessing. Yeah. Uh, and we know following David as he tried to move it and, and where it was left, hey, that guy's getting blessed. So, mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's get this. So uh, I do believe they know, uh, and, but it's all going to be revealed in God's day and God's timing. And uh, wherever uh, so close approaching those days, it's exciting days. Amen. So, you know, it's uh, it was interesting that that archaeologist was uh, trying to dig underneath the temple and got caught. Yeah, because we know what he was digging for. He was trying to find the ark. Uh, they they explained it as another Indiana Jones character, <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, they, they many people still looking for the ark. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, I've heard so many theories. I, we don't have time going right. That, but right. it's uh, it's very interesting. But if it were to be found, in the, in the, as Apocrypha states. You can imagine how that would spark. They would have to build the temple. Mm -hmm. So you would have revolts. You would have maybe a, a war, maybe a short one. Maybe, hey, we're kicking you off Temple Mount on this section. There's no telling what could happen like that. 
right. So if, if, if it were to be found, it would be <laughs> the Jewish people would have yep. a revolt. Uh, so, but anyway, going into uh, the next part, we got the table of showbread. Now, it was placed across from the golden menorah. Bread was baked every Friday, remained for a week, and replaced every Sabbath. The bread was made with two omers of flour and an offering of frankincense. Now, Jesus was offered frankincense by the Magi. Hmm. So, you should uh, look up how it's made, and it's interesting how the frankincense is made. Because I'm not going to go too far into it because I want people to look it up. But they scrape off wood and they do some stuff with it, and it's all very interesting. So I challenge people to watch that. You can find it on YouTube or anywhere else. But it's very interesting how frankincense is made. Um, twelve loaves, of course, represent the twelve tribes. Uh, keep in mind that the twelve tribes were present, would represent all peoples, the Jews scattered all over the world. So you have the table of showbread. And I don't want people to sit there and think, well, that's just for the Jews. Mm-hmm. But the 12 tribes, you remember 10, uh, a, a large portion of those tribes were conquered before the Babylonian invasion. So many of those were carried off. Uh, they scattered across the world, touched every known nation. And then you have the other uh, ones, uh, the Judah and Benjamin and some of the others that stayed. And they eventually got spread. Hmm. across different areas around the world. So every area of the world has been touched by them. So your 12 loaves represents all nations. You know, talking of the of the bread here, uh, maybe you can shed a little light to us because we read in text, when we read uh, in uh, Exodus uh, 25, verse 30 here, it says, place the bread of the presence on the table uh, to remain before me at all times. The bread of the presence. Explain just a little, if you can, why we're calling it the bread of the presence, and, and or can you at this time? Uh, I did uh, study a whole section on that, but there, there's there's a couple different pieces that represent different things. I didn't go into detail on that. Okay. But uh, the bread of the presence uh, has to do with the presence of God. It has to do with... Uh, you know, I, I can't remember. <laughs> well, you know, uh, in many times in our different teachings, mm-hmm. uh, we would uh, we run across certain things, but sometimes we just don't uh, put it, uh, uh, so to speak, where we can. Uh, what it was is the guy. I didn't want to steal his teaching. Yeah, but he has a whole section on that. Okay, so and uh, so, but you can't give us any little insight of it at, at all on that. Just to uh, whet our appetite to dig a little deeper? Uh, Not that I'm familiar with. Okay. So, well, I I just, I was intrigued with that, the bread of the presence. So, uh, that may be something to look up and get back uh, in our next teaching just to kind of give you an idea. Sure. Uh, I I didn't expect you to ask me that. So. Well, that's what I'm here for, is to stump Sean. (laughs) Successful. Uh, But uh, the golden lampstand, moving on to that, uh, Exodus 25, 39, 3,000 shekels, approximately 2,400 ounces in today's money of of gold, 2,400 ounces, would be $4,399,000. Wow. So it's a little out of my pocketbook range. (laughs) Yeah, that's just the golden lampstand. That's how much it would be worth. Uh, it was made of uh, one piece of pure gold. 
-hmm. It had three knobs, uh, perhaps for the Godhead, uh, seven lamps for the seven spirits of God. Um, You can see it in 1 Corinthians 6.11 for justification, sanctification, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Life uh, would be Romans 8.2. Truth, the spirit of truth of John 14.17. Wisdom, Ephesians 1.17. Deliverance, Matthew twelve twenty eight, and prayer, Romans eight twenty six, where it mentions all these different ones. Now, I did these instead of your normal traditional ones just to point these out. So you have, you know, your common, you know, the way they say that. Yeah. And then these are some of the ones I just decided to point out. But uh, in Isaiah eleven one through four, the branch of Jesse, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear. In verse 3, he will delight in, the, in obeying the Lord. And verse 4, the earth will shake at the face, force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. So Moses saw what John was seeing in Revelations. Mm-hmm. In regards to Hebrews 8.5, uh, Moses made copies of everything he saw in, in Revelation of the mountain throne room. So... God was showing him, this is what I want you to set up the sanctuary like. And then, you know, you see John in Revelations eleven nineteen saw the temple of God in heaven. And uh, the gold candlesticks, the golden altar uh, in Revelations 8, 3, the ark, he saw that in Revelations eleven nineteen living creatures in uh, Revelations chapter 4, 7 through 8. So it all mentions these things. Uh, Moses saw a lot of what John saw in Revelations. And uh, there's even some stuff that we're going to get to later in Deuteronomy when we reach the, towards the end of the year wh- where Moses sees the coming events of the rest of uh, the timeline way beyond his. So he sees a lot of these things that John ends up knowing, but he can't, he's not allowed to speak about it. So we'll get to that in Deuteronomy, and we'll see how he comes across that because he wants to tell Joshua, but he can't. Yeah. So it's very interesting once we get there, but that's a lot later on. But uh, the living creatures, Moses sets up the camp of Israel. You mentioned this earlier. Yeah. Dan to the north with Asher and Naphtali, and it was in the eagle symbol. So the north had the eagle, Judah to the west with Issachar and Zebulun, and it had the lion symbol. So uh, Ephraim to the west with Manasseh and Benjamin, and it had the ox or the bull symbol. And Reuben to the south which had the, with Simeon and Gad, and it had the face of the man. So we have that picture set up, and the Levites were, of course, in the center taking care of the tabernacle. So it formed a cross mm-hmm. from the sky, if you were to look at it from the sky. But also, very interesting, the eagle, lion, uh, ox, and the face of a man are the same as the four living creatures in Revelation. You know, interesting, just a thought. I'm going to get off track a little bit. Uh, Dan was a tribe that was in on the north mm-hmm. of the tabernacle. We were just in Israel. And we went to Dan, of Mm -hmm. all places. And Dan is in the northern part of Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went to a lookout point, and uh, we could look out. Lebanon was to our left. Syria was to our right. And we were right in the Golan Heights Mm -hmm. area there. Uh, And just to bring out a point, uh, they do have a a wall, a fence, uh, that is uh, very successful. Mm -hmm. So walls do work, just to throw that out. Uh, for all of our political people that uh, just want to irritate a little bit. But uh, we were right there at Caesarea Philippi in the north, 
And uh, but uh, Dan was what was intriguing me was Dan was in the north of the tri- of the ark, and it's in the north of Israel. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Uh, I haven't did my research yet, but so it just intrigued me. Uh, the tribes that were to the east and west, are they on the east and west of Israel? Yeah, sort of. Sort of, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, we're, we'll look into that a little bit too, because I just thought that was interesting that Dan was as far to the north as you can get. Yeah, but what you're looking at, what I can say is uh, sort of their migration paths. Mm-hmm. After they were conquered and separated, they kind of went to the directions that they were. Okay. So as you laid out, Dan went to the north. Some of that uh, went to the north. Ephraim was always to the west, so they went to the north and to the west. Uh, and then you got Judah, which was to the east, so they remained there in Israel or went out towards your uh, Muslim territories in China and uh, Japan and all of that. And they got mm. Jews spread all the way throughout there yeah. that we know of. To the south, you had Reuben uh, and Simeon and Gad. Now, Simeon... Um, he went to the south. Uh, Reuben went to the south a little bit, but he also went back to the north. But we'll get into that another time. But Gad is primarily the ones that are your uh, Native American tribes, is what they say. So some of them descended from Gad uh, hmm. because of their symbols, their language, especially Cherokee. You can see it matches Hebrew almost identical in their ancient language. So it was carved on caves and all of that. So it's a very interesting study, but we're getting way off topic. But... Um, so, we mentioned the four living creatures. Yes. We mentioned how they're in Revelations and how the camp is set up here. Also, in Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God, you had four cherubim with the faces of what? A man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. So, I would go as far to say that God is sending a message here to people. Mm. Is who bears up his throne? Mm. His people. God's people bear up his throne. That's true. And they spread his throne. They spread his message. They spread the gospel across the whole earth. You got uh, the four living creatures represents every tribe and tongue because they spread throughout every nation once they were conquered. They spread across the whole world. The, who bears up the throne of God? Everywhere the th- gospel goes. So every living creature, it's all laid out there in front of us. So it's, it's just kind of a cool thing that God did. Um, now, in certain Judaism circles, it uh, represents four archangels. In certain Christian circles, it, uh, you could say they will, they'll say it represents Mark, Luke, Matthew, and John, which just sounds crazy. And to some uh, Catholics, some of their evangelists. Hmm. They'll even go as far to say that. Um, but that's, like I said, it's, it's all people is what I look at, is what bears up the throne, because it's about spreading his message. Um, but the temple Moses built took seven to eight months to complete and on the 11th month on the 15th day in Exodus forty seventeen, uh, that's when it was completed but uh, the tabernacle and everything in it do you know how much it cost in today's money? Uh, I've seen these numbers but uh... what 1.5 tons of gold so 1.5 tons of gold is 52 million dollars Wow, that's what it was would be worth in today's money. Used for more than 600 years uh, prior to the construction of the temple. So before Solomon built the temple, uh, it was used for 600 years. Now the 12 gemstones in the priestly garment were worth $200,000 in today's money. 
just those 12 stones in the priestly garment. Um, you know, gold, as we know, represents deity, something that represents the best, Christ divinity. Uh, that's what gold represents. But I'm going to move on to silver because silver is more interesting to me. In this, Silver represents redemption. And we'll get into All males in Israel gave a half shekel of silver for atonement, for the day of atonement. So that's Exodus 30, 13 through 15. We can look that up. J- Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. That's what Genesis 37 uh, the price of a slave is 30 shekels of silver. That's in Exodus 21, 32. And in Zechariah 11, uh, 12 through 13, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them at the potter at the house of the Lord. So Zechariah is there quoting something that Christ is saying before he's coming. So it's very interesting. And of course, Judah threw the silver into the temple. The priest used the money to buy the field, which was called field of blood, next to what? The potter's field. Mm -hmm. So 30 shekels of silver was the price of a female slave. The cost to redeem the bride of Christ. So 30 shekels of silver, the cost to redeem the bride of Christ. It was thrown into the temple. So... There's the payment for all of us, apart from the blood. Everything has symbolism. Everything has meaning. Don't, if you let any individual aspect of the Bible escape you, you're missing something it connects to. So there's that redemption price for all of us. And it's, it's not just the blood, but you got the silver. you got everything that God set up in the Old Testament. He fulfills every single aspect of Scripture. You just have to look for it. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, verses 15 through 25 talks about the silver bases under each frame of the foundation of the tabernacle. So underneath uh, each frame, the foundation is made of silver. What all the poles hook into, what everything is hooked into, what God is, is he's sending a message there that everything is set on redemption. Because hmm. it's all set on silver. So... If you ever wondered if you're worth redeeming, God's entire foundation of his tabernacle was set up on redemption. Wow. Interesting stuff. So God, uh, you know, his entire story is on forgiveness, redemption of mankind to all the world to come to him, to not let his sacrifice be for naught. So if, if we don't partake in that, if we say, oh, I'm not worthy, or I don't deserve it, or I did all these sins and did it on purpose... Uh, and then we don't partake in the redemption of God. We don't go for the forgiveness. We don't repent. Because some people, if you repent, you have to admit what you've done, and if you admit what you've done, then no one's going to love you anymore. Come on. You know, come on. Well, you have so many of today's Christians Mm -hmm. that are still uh, tied to their past. Mm -hmm. They've never gotten over, never forgiven their, their their past and that's the one thing that uh, the enemy doesn't want you to do he doesn't never want you to feel worthy that you can be accepted by god he never wants you to feel that you're forgiven of your sins your past mistakes uh, he he wants to keep us suppressed uh keep a thumb control over us and uh a scripture that you'll hear me quote many many times is second corinthians five seventeen. anyone that is in christ he is a new creation and old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And I have to remind myself that. 
uh, constantly. And, and I just have to remind the, the enemy, the devil, Satan, that uh, you have no control over me. I'm a new creation. That's the old man, which was dead, buried with Christ through baptism, resurrected brand new. So uh, we can be washed clean and made worthy to receive what God has, not by what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Speaking of uh, resurrection, and it reminds me of when we did the baptisms there, oh. and, uh, and you spoke of the border, and I thought this, this story that George told, our travel guide, uh, of what happened when the guy swam over to the Jordan. Yeah. So the Jordanians grabbed him, and we could see the Jordanians. There was four soldiers like within sight right there across the Jordan River waiting to grab anyone who dared cross. That is a border. So we're baptizing in the Jordan. And then there was a guy who had swam over some other uh, tour group, and they grabbed him, and they beat him. And then they had to swim over the passport. They got the passport. They got everything straightened out, sent him back over. And then the Israelis beat him again <laughs> because this is a border. And in George's exact words were, you don't mess with the border. Yeah. So uh, think about, you know, I just want to say that to our nation today. Come on, you know. Well, <laughs> so. you know. I believe they can be controlled if we would just uh, enforce the laws. Mm -hmm. And uh, but um, you know, God is—he uh, has borders there. And uh, but uh, it's uh, God is a, a great God, Amen. and this is a great time to serve the Lord. Uh, you know, some of our teachings, you know, are while oh, they grab us, they really speak to us. Some of them we got to plow through a little bit, but uh, all in all, we're breaking down. Uh, the Word of God for you to help you understand why some of these things were, what were the meanings of some of these, and this is very interesting of, of how the temple was built and now how it was all, each part had a significant part of it. And to answer that about the bread of presence, there is a part of that is that has to do with the cup of the presence, if you remember in the Seder meal. Yes. So that there's a connection there, mm -hmm. but we'll get into that part later on. I don't want to ruin that because mm -hmm. we're coming up on it. Uh, we, but, we're coming uh, up on a lot of things. Uh, here we are. Uh, we're already in March, mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's definitely a new day. It's moving right along. Amen. Um, so we're covering all this with the tabernacle. Um, then we're going to get to the altar of burnt offering. This is in chapter. Uh, this is in the next chapter, twenty-seven, I believe. Uh, Psalms one eighteen twenty seven says, "The Lord is God, and He made His light shine on us." with uh, bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. Now that's in Psalms, but uh, with bows in hand. Bows is a branch. Mm -hmm. So what they would do with the sacrifice is they would tie it to the horns of the altar. So they had to, the, the burnt offering, uh, the bronze laver, it had, if I'm saying this right, the, the altar, the burnt offering offering. Mm -hmm. I said that part wrong, but it has four horns on the four corners. So they would set it up. They would tie it with a branch and tie it over the horn. So it would be spread out and would be burnt that way. So in Psalms 118, it covers part of that, you know, with bowels in hand. And that's what that word means. It's just a branch. But they, they would tie it down, like kind of like, you know, driving nails through mm -hmm. the hands. Spread out. Sacrifice. So, Four horns, mm -hmm. so four places where the blood would go. So one hand, one hand, the feet, 
crown of thorns on the top of the cross, four horns of the altar. Everything always has a representation. Everything. Everything. So we have that with Christ where he was spread out, and the bronze altar is right at the beginning. That's the first thing you walk into when you walk into the tabernacle. It's the sacrifice of Christ. That's what it represents. So right there at the beginning, right in your face. So they sprinkled the blood on the four points, and it was called the table of the Lord in Malachi 1.7. So slain from the foundation of the world, God had set it all up. Amen. So right there at the beginning, he knew what he wanted to do. He's showing us in the patterns of the tabernacle and the patterns of everything that build. Everything that we're covering all points to Christ. So we're going to make these connections as we go through, and I'll try to bring those out more and more. There are a lot. There was a lot more in this lesson I could have done, but I, was, I tried to pull away from that because that teaching's been done quite a bit. Yeah. He tried to pull me into it, but we'll, oh, well. we'll get into it a little bit next week on the next episode. Uh, we'll go into the showbread in more detail. Mm-hmm. I had stayed away from it because there was a teaching by Brian Cutshaw, and he, does, he covers each and every aspect of that. So we'll pull out a little bit of that. We'll give him credit for that, and then we'll uh, we'll go into that in the next lesson. But um, all right, our next lesson, a little bit, is going to be kind of a split. We're gonna are we going to because uh, uh, next uh, our next lesson is the time frame of the Feast of Purim, mm-hmm. and uh, so how does the Feast of Purim? Because I want to share a little bit, talk a little bit about that. How does that tie with our teachings of next week and our readings? Well, uh, next week's is going to have, I believe it has the start of a, uh, a little bit of the rebellion that comes in from the mm-hmm. children of Israel. And we see a little bit of the rebellion in Esther at the beginning. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to obey. Mm-hmm. But then she does turn and obey. So we'll try to bring those two things together. But uh, like I said, we'll we'll do these two two teachings separately. So we'll do the one, and then we'll do the other. So I think we'll do Esther, probably Purim at the end, because we'll tie uh, the lesson into that. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So I'm excited about uh, uh, teaching a little bit of Purim. Uh, It's a beautiful story in the Bible. And uh, of all of the, the festivals and celebrated days, you know, uh, Yom Kippur, uh, Rosh Hashanah, you know, those are your most holiest celebrated days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the most happy celebrated day is Purim. And uh, so it's, uh, I, I like it. And we have a little treat that we're going to try next week. Uh, so uh, something brought back from uh, Israel. And uh, uh, it's just kind of interesting and a little, to bring a little bit of culture into us. Amen. Amen. It'll so, be good. And uh, Apostle, you know, some of these things, you know, sometimes there's people who they made the choice to rebel. So we're going to tie this into this lesson right here at the end. They made the choice to rebel. They may have thought that they were doing the right thing. Now they're, let's say, years down the road, a couple of years maybe. And it's kind of in their face. They kind of know that they've done wrong, but to admit to it is very difficult. What would you say to someone? Well, I'd say you've been, you've been bound by the lie of Satan too long. Uh, I think you've been uh, deceived by him way too long. Uh, yes, we've all have rebelled at some form. Uh, we've uh, disobeyed God to some degree. 
we've uh, missed it at some point. But uh, God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness. And if you have a call or a purpose, uh, you may have missed the opportunity to lead, but God will not forget you when you repent and come back to him. So God is all about restoration. And all through the scriptures, we see how God restored Israel time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you're, you, no one is too far. No one has uh, hardened a heart so strong that God can't break through. Uh, I had a word the other night, and um, I've heard this term all of my life. Pray till you break through. Pray till you break through. And uh, the other night in a prayer meeting we had here at the church, uh, the Lord spoke something to me. He said, well, just let me break in. And I thought, well, it's kind of comical, but God really wants to break into our hardness, into our lives, into our uh, just our little self-centered world sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're saying we're trying to break out, but we've got all these certain ways it has to be done and stipulate. God says, just let me break in. And I think if God breaks in, the, wall, the out will be, you'll be out uh, yeah. when you allow God <laughs> to break in. So uh, I'd say to that person, just let God speak to you. And, uh, you know, and he will. And God speaks to you, first of all, through his word. He speaks to, to you th through prayer. He speaks to you through others uh, that are teaching the word. Uh, but I, I just want to encourage everyone that feels like they've rebelled or they missed it, that uh, God has a, has a plan and uh, God will bring you back. And uh, I'm not saying that, uh, oh, you missed something and uh, somebody else stepped up and took it. You're going to come back and take over, but God will still restore you and use you in the, in the future. So there's hope. And, uh, and to quote the apostle, the, uh, the other day he was uh, given a word and it's, uh, you know, so many times when people try to make that journey back, they try to make the journey back and they're looking and they're kind of looking and testing the waters. Well, how are people going to react or how things going to happen? Or do these people actually care? Or what's, what's the signs here in testing the waters? And one of the things the apostle said is, don't look at what it looks like. Look at what God is saying. You're right. So yeah. Always look, see what he's saying. And uh, because... God has told me several things over the years, and I, I just didn't see it. Uh, but God has always come through, and he'll come through for us. Uh, and that's the confidence I have in Christ. Amen. Amen. So join us next week. We'll go into another lesson, and then we're going to go into Purim, and it's going to be very interesting. The apostle's going to take the lead on Purim, and I'm going to try to trip him up. So let's see if I can pull that off. And uh, I'll try not to go too difficult, but uh, we're going to pull out some Hebrew. I'm going to do, I'm going to go with Creighton. No, I'm just playing. But uh, it should be an interesting time. So join us next week and uh, we'll see you then. All right. God bless. Remember that God loves you and God is a great God. Amen.